grab your Bibles. We're back in Galatians this morning, in Galatians 5.13. It starts out, it says, You, my dear brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. You know, as Americans, we love this verse. We love our freedom. I mean, we're free, land of the free. Uh, we're willing to fight and risk our lives for human freedom. We even fight so other people in other countries can have liberty. So how do you define this, this freedom? Well, it's the ability to pursue happiness with li- as little restriction as possible. I mean, it's the right to explore our own human potential without somebody telling us, no, you're not allowed to do that. Of course, we all know that freedom is not defined as doing what we want whenever we want to do it. I mean, that's kind of anarchy. That's chaos. I mean, there's healthy guidelines and, and in a sense, guardrails to, to human freedom. So we can stay free once we become free. This is what the Apostle Paul has been talking about here. And for five chapters, he has been on the attack to anyone who wants to lay a whole bunch of religious rules down to, to stop that freedom. Paul is opposed to anyone who says, here is all the things that you need to do or you need to stop doing or start doing in order to be in the Christian club. Paul has made this point very clear. But here, he balances it for us, making sure we have Christian liberty, but it's not the same as a license to sin. Now, Paul has taught us that Jesus has released us from all kinds of bondages and slavery, as he calls it, and freeing us to com- you know, completely from that sin. Now, he will make it equally clear that within those freedoms, the right in the middle of a living in God's mercy and God's grace, if an immature believer misunderstands God's grace, there is a huge danger to that. If that believer is somehow convinced that my belief in Christ gives me permission to set my own course, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want to do it, because I am saved and all I have to do is go to confession. All I have to do is is say, forgive me. There are no rules. There are no boundaries. All I have to do is ask for that forgiveness. God has released me from those narrow religious people. I can do anything I feel like. Well, that would be a terrible mistake because doing whatever we felt like doing is what got us into trouble in the first place, right? Now, many would say, you know, uh, many of you would say that you've been raised in and around the church and some of you would say, well, I came to the Lord afterward, you know, later in life. And because of this, we read scripturally different, the scripture, uh, we, we read it differently. We see it differently. There's one group of us that, uh, that, that don't have a clue as to how many sins we were saved from because we, uh, you know, we were so busy thinking everybody else, were, you know, they were the sinners because I was saved early. You know, we were pulled out of the pits we didn't even know we were a part of. Then there's others of us who were, you know, who were walling around, wallowing around in the pits, who were, were down in the dirt in a sense, pits we knew that we shouldn't be in. That, that, that we knew we couldn't get out of them, 
But then when we kind of got out of it, we would dive right back into the pit. Well, both groups would agree with this. If we were allowed to do whatever we wanted to do, we would be in trouble. This is how we got in trouble in the first place. The Bible calls it bondage to the flesh or bondage to the slavery to, to evil. When our sinful flesh takes charge of our lives again, our lives get really messed up very quickly. Christian freedom is a wonderful thing. It took Paul five chapters to get to the point of saying, don't abuse your freedom or you will lose your freedom. We need to appreciate liberty, but it's not a license to sin. That is different. So the biggest you know, enemies to our liberties in Christ can be the liberties themselves. Some of us psychologically would be better off and more, in a sense, restrictive churches where the rules were set out uh, where we just obeyed the rules. We don't want to, to, to know, uh, you know that we can follow the Holy Spirit's leading on things that are not spelled out in the Old Testament or New Testament. You know, those gray areas we talk about. Someone please make the call on how I should live because I need that box. But Paul says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the other way is better. It is just what the Bible calls the law of grace. And sometimes... It's more difficult to discern and to live with. Let's say it like this. Freedom in Christ frees us from both the power of sin and the penalty of sin. But it never, ever gives us permission to sin. Christ made us free from sin, not free to sin. He's actually trying to save us from ourselves. Paul says it like this in Galatians 5.13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Now, there are a couple of really important words here in this. One of those is the word flesh. It is the Greek word sarx. It's our tendencies as humans to, to just sin and do whatever we want to do. It's a concept that humans have, have this earthly, fleshly, uh, you know, invisible pull towards that desire to sin. It's the evil we are capable of. Have you ever been shocked by the evil that you've been capable of? No? Have you ever been shocked by the evil someone else is capable of? Yeah. Oh, I get it. Other people, not you, of course. I, I, okay, got it, got it, got it. Paul knows this. He knows the flesh. As a Pharisee, he used religion to battle the flesh, and he could never win. Now, the second phrase that's important here is freedom to indulge. Another way to say this is opportunity. The word is a a military term that Paul is pulling out here. He hung out with the, the Roman legion a lot. Uh, you know, you may ask, well, why was he with Roman guards a lot? Well, he was always being thrown into jail. Uh, Pastor Paul is in jail again. Well, huh, bless his heart, man. You know, another person called it, uh, called it good trouble. John Lewis, who just passed away this, this past week, John Lewis followed Paul's example of peaceful protests. Paul would go around talking about Jesus and, and they would put him into jail because of it. John Lewis, you know, he marched and did things in a peaceful way, primarily for the, to write the vote was the, the primary goal, but the secondary goal was freedom for, for the people. 
the right to be treated as, as human citizens. You know, forget the politics of late. Now, I mean, I, I, you know, John Lewis and I politically were, were kind of opposite on, on a lot of ways. But I can respect the man because what he did, what Mr. Lewis did in the late 50s and early 60s was important. It was what was called good trouble. John was jailed over 40 times in six years, yet not once did he fight back. Not once did he fight the police. Not once did he destroy a building. But he stood up for what was right. You know, the Apostle Paul was doing the same thing. He was getting in good trouble. This is why he was in jail all the time. So he picked up on this guard's lingo and the, and the relationships that he built with the, the jailers and so forth. You know, an opportunity or freedom to indulge means this is like the idea of a base camp where you launch your, launch your military operations from, where you're most likely safe during the battle. The base is always fortified. He is saying, don't use your freedom as a base camp to sin. Paul said the same thing to the Christians in Rome. In Romans 6.15, he says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that, though you used to be slaves of sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Verse 18, it says, You have been set free from sin and become slaves to righteousness. I'm using, a, using an example from everyday life because you, are, you have human you know, limitations, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness. So now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at the time from the, th- from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. Verse 22, but, but now that you've been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. As a result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The truly liberated, the truly free, who desire to stay that way, don't camp out in sin. They stay far away from sin. You live a disciplined life. Paul says it you know, to the Galatians in verse 16 like this, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not uh, gratify the desires of your flesh. What does it look like when we walk in the Spirit? It means, you know, taking uh, or or talking with the Father when you wake up. You know, it doesn't have to be long, a brief conversation. Uh, Deliver me today. Have your Spirit guide me today. You know my tendencies. You know my weakness towards sin. Protect me from them. Lead me away from the things that damage my life. You know, we like to to turn it all into a mystical type of thing, but it's not mystical at all. It is about asking God to help you, help you with your anger issues, help you with your desire issues, to say, God, you know, I'm a rude person. Help me to not be so rude. 
It's not gratifying the desires of the flesh. We walk by the Spirit. And when you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This is going to be, you know, this is going in the direction of the Holy Spirit. And the longer you walk in the direction toward the things of God, you're walking away from the things that are not of God. The Spirit is leading you toward, the, uh, uh, toward God, and the Spirit is leading you away from sin. That's a beautiful thought. When you're walking a direction, you're going away from something, and you're going toward something. So it might as well be God. We stay close to the, you know, if we stay close to the evilness of the wrong base camp, because we're still kind of undecided. In Galatians 5.17, it comes down to what we truly desire. It says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Well, Paul is being Mr. Obvious here, you know. They're in conflict with each other, so that you, you, so that you are not to do whatever you want to do. Paul is giving us these two opposing forces here, the flesh and the spirit. It's a battle inside of each one of us. He's writing to the church here, not those outside the church, to the church. And the church has to deal with its own sins. The Christian has to deal with their own sin. We cannot act like we have no sin. Oh, I'm, I'm just perfect. Oh, well, I'm the pastor. I never sin. I don't know. We can't act like that. Paul always writes to a group of saved people who are struggling with the flesh. We need to recognize that we struggle with this flesh. Each and every one of us. Paul's going to get really specific about the word, uh, I mean, about the works of the flesh. Verse 19, he says, The acts of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality, immaturity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. What a terrible list. I mean, the end. If you live like this, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. You know, if we live like that, we'll inherit the life to come. What we pursue in this life is what we inherit do we pursue God or do we pursue the world? Let's go this, through this list you know, quickly. It's not an all-encompassing list here, but there's some very poisonous stuff here. You know, three words that touch on sexuality, uh, two words regarding religion, two words you know, talking about substance abuse, and eight words that, that form a list of behaviors that kill healthy relationships. One of the Greek words sounds like an English word, porneia. You might recognize it as pornography. In the original Greek, it actually meant an activity of that nature outside of marriage. You know, an impurity, unnatural sexual practices and relationships, debauchery, uncontrolled and unashamed sexual deviance. Now, we know the Roman Empire, you know, it was full of stuff, uh, full of of all sorts of, uh, of these type of things going on, even in their worship of their so-called gods. 
You know, we also live in an age that's very similar, and Paul warns us away from all of it. I mean, just look at advertisement. It all deals with this stuff. Just go to Vegas. You see it all over the place. You know, don't take your child down the strip of Vegas because they're going to get an eyeful. They're going to see a whole bunch of stuff that they shouldn't see. Our lives are full of it here. The world is heaping it on us, and Paul is saying, stay away from that. Now, he also mentions another word unrestrained partying, idolatry, witchcraft, which is the word pharmakeia. What does that sound like? Pharmacy, mind-altering drugs. They would use these drugs to work themselves up to summon these, you know, what they called the gods, which were, were evil spirits. And drugs like these would alter our minds and open us up to things that are best left closed. It is a doorway to evilness. And you're left helpless because of it. Paul talks about drunkenness. Christians can differ about alcohol, whether you should take it, whether you should not take it and all that. But the Bible is very, very clear about being impaired. It is a sin. It is a big mistake. One of the sins is translated into different words, lasciviousness or lewdness. It is a person who is so excited to sin, they can't wait. They flaunt their immorality. They brag about it. They get a tattoo about it or whatever. It's on their bumper sticker on their car. This is the same as putting it up on Facebook. Oh, look how smashed we were. We are having such a great time. You know, proud of what a good sinner we are. Wow. Then he gives us eight words that describe destroying relationships. Selfish ambition. In other words, that's a me thinking first. You know, me first thinking or or whatever, however you want to say that. Envy and hatred and discord and jealousy. Picking, you know, fights, stirring up trouble. Forcing dissensions. Combativeness, uncontrolled rage. Paul has a stark warning to those who say, Well, you know, I struggle... But with God's grace, I'm forgiven. I'll stay right here. Paul says that people like this, if they live like this the whole time, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because they're pursuing the flesh. They're not pursuing the things of God. They're not pursuing the Spirit. So you, you have to wonder, did they truly accept God into their lives or not? And it'll take them right into eternity without God. Paul says it like this in Romans 8, 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on, the, uh, on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on the Spirit desires, on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's way, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. You know, Charles Spurgeon was a great preacher, and he gave a great sentence. He said, The grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. Think about that one for a second. The grace that does not change my life does not change my soul. When we come to Jesus to have our sins forgiven 
It is not a once-in-a-lifetime experience and then go back to compromise. It is a living salvation. It is a process. It happens over time. Yes, you are instantly, you know, instantly we are saved when we recognize God and we invite Him to be Lord. But there is a process that we also call sanctification. The process of being saved that takes time for the Spirit to clean out the garbage of our life. A person can get off that path of serving the Lord faithfully. And where it started is a little compromises with sin. Don't run from this list while being in a hurry to get to the good stuff. You know, we, we, we like to, to read over to the bad stuff very quickly and go to the good stuff in the scriptures like in Galatians 5.22. For us to say to God, search me. We need to say this, search me, know my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me to the everlasting. It is called believers repenting. It is when believers stop being hypocrites. And stop acting like they haven't, you know, fell back into the sinful ways. Just say, God, here I am again, sinning. Help me. Forgive me. You know what I've done. You know how I've fallen. And I still believe in your grace. And I, and I, you know, I need it now. And, and have the Spirit direct me out of this sin. <clears throat> what a shame it would be. If you carried out this charade before other Christians and you lived this double life where there's all this other stuff going on, what a shame it would be if your family who once saw you as a solid Christian and you kept slipping and slipping and slipping. See, they can't save you. Only Jesus can save you. You need to call out to Jesus. You need to cry out to Jesus. And He will just as you know be just as faithful today as he was on that first day when you first came to him you can be the prodigal son you can be the prodigal daughter coming home to jesus because we're just a bunch of sinners that are saved anyway you know forgiven sinners then paul goes on the to the, to what we like to call the good stuff galatians 5:22 but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace forbearance, that means patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. This is where we're headed now, out of the sewer and into an orchard, the fruit of the Spirit. The Apostle Paul calls the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives fruit. Like all this stuff that's grown in this beautiful valley that we live in that sometimes gets a little warm. It's all this fruit being grown. Paul always chooses his words intentionally. Here, here it is. Here's what it's going to produce. The image of fruit he takes, you know, takes us out of the muck, out of the, the picture of the city and, the, and, and uh, you know, just the, the sin and just the muck and you know, into the orchards, into the vineyards. See, this is what a healthy church looks like from heaven. We're nourishing fruit, you know, the sweet fruit that's on the vine, you know, weighing down the, the branches, just ripening there, waiting for the world to come by and pick it and taste it. Fruit grown daily, slowly, day by day. You don't measure ripening process minute by minute. It takes time. It takes weeks. It takes months. And you go, you know, you go to the tree and you kind of squeeze it, you kind of smell it and you go, okay, no, this one's not ready yet. 
You ever feel like you're being squeezed by the world? The fruit of the Spirit grows and we become faithful over time. We become kind. We become patient. We become loving over periods of time. We become gentle and good over long periods of time. People who know you before you were following Christ, they may have known you and that you weren't so kind. But now that you know God, now that you're following Christ, they would, they would see you now and say, man, something's different about them. And what they would be seeing is Jesus. Growth will happen naturally if we stay in the Spirit. If we resist the weeding and pruning and the storms and the sun and the fruit will ripen in us and it will be sweet. It will smell good. We will have peach trees, you know, uh, uh, well, have you ever had a peach tree? We've had them in the past and they just sell, smell so good and, and you, you pick them and they're ripe and, oh man, think about that sec, uh, for a second. Where does the energy in the peach come from? Well, it comes from the sun, right? Isn't that crazy? Does the, does the peach bring, you know, bring life to the tree or does the tree bring life to the peach? Well, the tree brought life to the peach. The nutrients, you know, gets absorbed from the tree, uh, you know, from the ground and, and the tree grows. And then one year, all of a sudden, peaches start showing up. And, and all that energy that goes into that tree is all for the peach to grow. Paul is saying we have got to stay connected. He's using a metaphor here. Sinful behaviors that cut us off from the tree they're not good. The things of God, His behaviors feed us. So one day we will become this delicious fruit because we are connected. Notice Paul doesn't say fruits of the Spirit. He talks about the fruit of the Spirit. In English, it's, it's very confusing the way he says it and so forth. But in the Greek, it's not. He uses a singular word here, not a plural. It is, it is nine different fruit. It is nine different qualities that make up one fruit. And the fruit is called a Christian, a follower of Christ. One fruit that can be described in nine different ways. Do you know of any, nine, uh, any um, wine uh, snobs? Have you ever seen someone describe a, a glass of wine? Have you ever been around that wine tasting? They take the glass and they, they swish it around. They, they smell it and they swish it again. And then they take a little taste and then they smell it again. They do all this different stuff. And, and then they start to use words that don't sound like words you would use about a drink. They're like, you know, th this drink is it's oaky or, or buttery or grassy or chewy. It has legs. It has raspberry, or it is coffee, it's you know, flamboyant, or it's toasty, or, or charcoal, or bright, or laser-like, or angular, or barnyard, or creamy, or earthy, or crisp, and on and on and on. And we're like, make up your minds, which one is it, you know? And they're like, it's all of these, it's a complex flavor. This is what Paul is saying. The fruit of the Spirit is a complex flavor. We're supposed to be a complex flavor to this world. And when the world tastes us, they have, they have no idea the, you know, how it was produced, but they want more. They just want more. We look at these nine words and we realize that Paul has just given us a description of Christ's personality. 
The Spirit of God is giving us Christ's personality. And, and, and sometimes, you know, if you're like me, you feel so far from that. We're so far from Christ's personality sometimes. But the key is, are you still wanting it? Because it's a lifetime journey. And do we really want it? Are we headed in the direction, you know, toward Christ? Are we headed in an earthly direction discussed before Galatians 5.22, the ways of the world? Have you completely given yourselves over to the world so we would even wonder if you ever knew God? Or are you on a path that leads away from the world towards God? Do you want the things that are of God? This is what He wants from us. This is what He wants for us. This is what God wants. He wants you to, to want His nature, to replace your nature, to want to be that fruit of God instead of the garbage, to be attracted to, to good things instead of evil things, to crucify the flesh and its desires and come and follow after the Lord God our Savior. You know, next week we're going to look at each aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. All things that the devil doesn't have, but God freely offers to us. That's where we're headed next week. Let's pray. Lord, you are an amazing God. You give us this freedom. You don't force it upon us. You tell us this path is bad, this path is good. And Lord, I pray that you, you, you allow the Holy Spirit to guide us, to direct us, to pull us back when we're going on the bad path, to, to pull us away from the things of this world and pull us towards you, that we would have that innate desire that's in us, that comes from the Spirit. Lord, I pray for those that, that maybe have been on the, uh, the path of the flesh lately, that they would turn from that, that they would see you know, how that just pains you, how that hurts you that they would come back to you and say, Father, forgive me. Get me back on the good path. Give me your, your spirit's direction. Help me be pulled to the things that are of you. Lord, we're in these trying times and it's so easy to fall down. Lord, it, it seems like the world has really gone to, to hell in a handbasket as the saying goes. And, and we need your light. We need your direction now more than ever. Lord, I pray that you awaken your spirit within the Christian community here today. Within Tulare, I pray for the other churches that your spirit would start working and, and bring us together as Christians that, that together all the churches can be your light in this community. Your light to say Jesus Christ is the answer to all our problems. Lord, I thank you for loving us so much and not casting us aside right now that you welcome us back like prodigal sons and prodigal daughters that when we come back to you, you're ready to throw a party. We thank you for your grace that you've given us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you and may he bless you today like you've never been blessed before. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. You guys have a wonderful week.